Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Thank, thank you, worship team. A um, couple of quick announcements as we get started. Everybody needs to remember we've got a meal right after service. Everyone's invited. Everything is provided. So looking forward to seeing as many of you as will downstairs for lunch. Uh, it'll be a good time together. A couple other things. Uh, we have an opportunity to collect new or gently used coats and blankets, sleeping bags, pillows for those who are less fortunate in our community. So if you have got two or three coats at home that you don't wear and they're in great shape. You can bring them in over the next couple of weeks and we can be sure to get those in the right hands as we help serve others who are less fortunate. So don't miss out on that simple opportunity. I am looking forward uh, to uh, later today, of course, lunch, but then next Sunday. Uh, anybody know what next Sunday is on the calendar? Some of you are like, I don't know, what's he getting at? We're not going to do like Halloween. Yes, uh, no, Reformation Day, Reformation Day. And, and uh, many of you uh, maybe have heard of such things but don't know what that means. And so uh, we're going to take a short journey through some church history next week as well as scripture. So looking forward to that. I'm excited. I think it's a really important part of our history as Christians, and it's going to be a good time together in God's Word and just celebrating something more than darkness. In fact, the, the light. One of the, the uh, sayings for the Reformation was post Tenebrooks looks, which means after darkness, light. And so we have this beautiful privilege to come out of darkness on a day like October 31st and celebrate the light that we've been given in Christ Jesus and our Christian forebears. So I'm excited by that. Hope you'll join us next week as we take a week off from Philippians and dive into the Reformation. So um, that all being said, though, today we're still talking about the book of Philippians. If you've got your Bible, I encourage you to open it up to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 18, the B part of verse 18. So as we are opening up, I want to just to review where we've come so far. Of course, Paul begins with a, the, that just doctrine-rich introduction of himself and, and a celebration of the Philippian church, but also then comes to the fact that he is praying for the Philippian church, uh, acknowledges their partnership in the gospel, how they have willingly sacrificed of themselves in order to advance the good news of Jesus Christ. And then Paul reminds them what he is praying for, or tells them what he's praying for, that their love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment or wisdom. In other words, Paul wants to see them mature as believers. And then Paul gives an update about his own status and how he is in prison and the gospel is going out. And some people are preaching the gospel because they're inspired by Paul's sacrifice and some people are preaching the gospel because they want to see Paul get into even more trouble. And Paul says it doesn't matter whether that it goes out for good reasons or bad reasons. Jesus Christ is being proclaimed and he rejoices over that truth. And we should all live in that space as well where we rejoice when the gospel goes out. But we also last week looked at what the true gospel is. 
Jesus came. He died on the cross for our sins, according to scriptures. He was buried, and he rose again on the third day, according to the prophecy and the scriptures. And then he appeared to his disciples. And that is the true gospel. And any other gospel should be anathema, or excluded from our lives. And it's important that we remember the true gospel and don't fall prey to all the false gospels that are floating around in our culture today. Many of them um, have as proponents smiling, well-dressed preachers uh, from large churches. And that's not to pick on all large churches, just a couple. So uh, if you'd like to know the list, you can talk to me privately and I'll share with you the whole list of churches I think you should avoid. But today, here in our church, we are going to dive into this letter to the Philippian church a little bit more. And so if you've got your Bibles or you've got your Bible app, open up to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at the last little bit of verse 18 all the way to verse 26. And as we are reading, I want you to read this from the perspective of Paul, <coughs> excuse me, Paul expressing his confidence in the outcome of his present trials and imprisonment. Paul, as he is coming to what we think is the end of two years, being under house arrest in Rome, a different Roman praetorian guard chained to him every four to six hours every day the last number of years, with the death penalty on the table for him. Because if he is judged to be an enemy of Rome... As a Roman citizen, he will be beheaded immediately. What a joy, no suffering, just no head. And uh, so he is living in this place of bondage. He is living in this place of his life being constantly in danger until he is declared not guilty by the Roman emperor, which we find out does happen eventually. But then um, he, he's here unknown is the future and he yet still has great confidence in what God is doing. So let's read together verses 18b through 26 of the book of Philippians. So Paul says this, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. So as we read these verses, many of us would go, what? I mean, this is kind of conflicted. He wants to live. He wants to die. He's not sure, but he's certain of some things. He has great confidence in what God is doing in him and in his life. And so he says he will continue to rejoice because he knows that the sharing of the gospel will eventually lead to his salvation. And this word salvation here 
It's not necessarily his salvation from sin or salvation for eternity, but really he's talking about a a deliverance from his current circumstances as well as his final salvation before God. You know what's amazing about the Christian life is when we talk about salvation, it is a salvation that has already happened when we've trusted Jesus Christ. We are saved. It is a salvation that is continuing to happen. He is daily saving us and renewing us and bringing us into new places in our walk with him. And then it's a salvation that will one day happen in its entirety. In other words, we will have an eternity with God through Christ Jesus that is sure. If you have made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you have confessed him as your savior... Your future is certain. No questions asked. And Paul is walking in that knowledge. He's living in that knowledge, knowing that his future is certain. Now, he believes that he will be freed from his imprisonment and be able to continue in ministry, but he knows that he will ultimately be saved. And that his eternal life is certain. Now he says there are two things that will accomplish. (laughs) Sorry, I've got this cough that's like living right here. So I'm going to get rid of it. And then we'll try and keep going. (laughs) That should be better. That might get me through the rest of the sermon. We'll see. He says there are two things. That will bring about this salvation. He says, I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Christ. So Paul says there are two things in his life that give him certainty. That help him to know that both the present circumstances that he's suffering through and his eternity are sure things. That those two things are the prayers of the saints... And help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So, what's difficult about prayer sometimes for for those of us who uh, have been Christians for a while is sometimes it feels just kind of like old hat. Like we've been praying a long time for all the same stuff and, and God hasn't done anything or even some of us have theological persuasions that make us be kind of like, well, God already, God already knows and he's already got a plan, so what does it matter what I do? Why should I bother praying? And the truth is, is that when Paul talks about prayer, he's saying it's a very specific tool that God has established for his people to experience salvation. And it's not their own prayers for themselves. It's the prayers of the saints for one another. You see, what what has happened when we read through scripture is that God has ordained prayer as a means of, of acting out his plans. God has, has established that our prayers matter. That our prayers are not just words to a God who already knows everything and already has it all planned out, but instead it is an intimacy with Him that matters according to Scripture. And so when we struggle to pray, what we're really struggling with is believing that our prayers matter. And what Scripture tells us without a shadow of a doubt is that your prayers especially your prayers for one another, are critically important. They're necessary. 
Paul says that it's the prayers of the Philippian church that are going to result in his overcoming in this situation. It's the prayers of the Philippian church for him that are going to help him to remain certain in his salvation. Now do we wonder why we might struggle with current circumstances or doubting our own salvation? Might it be that we fail to pray for one another? Might it be that we fail to lift one another up? But the, the thing about prayer is implied in being able to pray for one another is that we know one another's needs. And we only can know one another's needs when we all begin to practice sharing our needs with one another. Now you can look around, around the room this morning and while I have a handle on, on a handful of your lives, and, and not like I'm ruling or controlling, right? But I understand where you're at. For a handful of you, there are many of you, I don't, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're struggling with. Now, some of that means that I need to ask more questions from time to time, but what it also can mean is that you need to be more open with who you are and where you're at in life. That there are people here who would love to lift you up, who would love to help you attain that certainty of your future through prayer. If only you would share yourself with them. And then others of you, you need to open up and begin to pray for other people. And not in the, oh, I'll pray about that kind of way. But actually to begin to pray for one another in the moment. Don't just stand in the foyer and, and say, I'll put you on my prayer list and then never do it. But actually stop and pray together right there. And share and spend time in intimacy with one another and with God. If prayer is one of the things that Paul says is making his future a certain thing, it should be something that is critical to our lives as believers together. And not just prayer with this prayer list and you read the list like you're you know, reading your Christmas list to Santa Claus hoping you'll get some of it, but real prayer for the people that you know and you care for and asking for God to give them a certainty of their steps, to give a, a, an absolute confirmation of their salvation on a regular basis. But that's all birthed out of actually knowing one another. I want to tell you, I'm really excited about Sunday school. And, and others of you might be, others of you are probably just going, yeah, but I have to get up early. Um, and, and it's okay either way, but I'm excited because what it has done already in just the last few weeks in the class that I'm part of is it's given us opportunities to talk, to ask questions, to have ideas that are new presented to us, to be able to, to, to begin to build relationship in new and unique ways. Are we all best friends? No, not yet. Give it a few months though, and we'll get better at knowing each other. But that is dependent upon investing in being together investing in opening up, investing in being honest. How can we pray for you if we don't know what you need, if we don't know what your doubts are, what your fears are, what your struggles are? I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, prayer is a vitally important part of our walk with Christ. But not us praying for ourselves, others praying for us. And how can they know to pray for us if we don't let them know who we are? Prayers of the saints are critical. And then Paul says, the second thing that helps me to be confident in my salvation, both in today's circumstances and in eternity, 
is the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of Jesus Christ, we can name that by another name, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. We understand that when we are saved as Christians, we are indwelt by and sealed by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who is fully God and yet unique in His person. And because that is true, we have everything we need, according to Peter, for life and godliness. And so we have been provided for in every spiritual way by the Spirit of God within us, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And that word help, it's not just like, all right, let me help you up off the ground for a moment. Come on, you can do it. Come on, you got this. But it literally means complete supply or support, a provision of all your needs. In other words, when you are resting on the Holy Spirit, when you are spending time in God's Word and you're spending time in prayer and communion with, the, with God through the Spirit, you are fully equipped and provided for in everything that you need. This same word in the Greek was used to describe a wealthy patron paying for the needs of a traveling group of thespians, actors, and and putting on a show. So it's kind of like the person who pays for the circus to travel. And we can look around the room and go, my, we have quite the menagerie in our circus. And the Holy Spirit is the one who provides for all of us, and not just in a small way, but everything we need. Now, that doesn't mean we sit on our backsides and just say, all right, Holy Spirit, feed me today. You know, and, and expect to have morsels dropped from the heavens. But instead, when we're talking about provision, it, it is every opportunity we need, every strength we need, every spiritual power that we need in order to be confident in our salvation, confident in our next steps, confident that even if it goes sideways, it's still to God's glory and our good. These two things, the prayers of the saints and the provision of the Holy Spirit are critical to our lives as believers. So the first challenge for today, the first lesson for today as we read through this passage, open up yourself, share your needs, get to know your brothers and sisters in Christ, ask for prayer. Is it easy? No. Can you get hurt sometimes? Yes. But it's always worth the risk. And it's one of the two ways in which you can find confidence to live your life. The second is open yourself up to the power of the Spirit. Relax and release and study the Word and grow and believe that God is giving you everything you need for life and godliness. And that as you come to decision points in your life, You don't go, oh no, what does God want? Instead you go, I will walk in confidence and I will believe that God will guide me by the power of his spirit. And whether I die or I live, I know it was what he wanted. And this gives us all this ability to step out of the navel gazing and the self-centeredness into a place where we are praying for one another and we are living moment by moment walking in the spirit lives.
Because we are confident that as long as we are walking with Him, we're walking the right direction. As long as we are submitting ourselves to what God has clearly revealed in His Scripture, we don't have to walk around in fear that we're doing the wrong things. Instead, we can confidently say, I believe in the prayers of the saints and I trust in the guidance of the Spirit. I will walk according to the Word of God and I will do it with no fear. It's not easy. I don't do it all the time. I struggle. But we can do better, brothers and sisters. We can be more bold. We can be more confident in our lives. But it begins with praying for one another and trusting in the provision of the Spirit. And Paul, in answer to this, or in in expansion of this, he says, My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So he says he has this eager expectation. And it's not talking about this, yeah, it would really be cool if, but instead it is, he is literally, this word means he is straining to see. He's lifting up his neck, he's searching like, ah, I, I, I am so looking forward to the fact that God will be glorified. And he, he has a hope. Now, a lot of us, when we hear the word hope, we think, I hope I get something nice for Christmas. You know, or I hope someone remembers my birthday. <laughs> or I, I hope that, right, that's what we think of as on hope. I hope I can walk into the car dealership and they just want to give me one of the new ones. Um, you know, that's... It doesn't even have to be realistic, right? We, we hope, we cross our fingers, we think, oh, I could have won if I just bought the ticket. You know, um, we, we have this, this, this wishing kind of hope in our culture. But scriptural hope is not like that. Scriptural hope is a certainty because it is built upon God's provision and promises. When God says something will be provided for, do you believe it should be true? Yes. When God says to you, if you trust on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you profess Him as your King, you will be saved. Do you believe that's true? Do you believe that that everyone who rejects Jesus Christ is, is, is damned to an eternity separated from God as punishment for their sinfulness? So that is what hope is, is that there are certainties and they will come to pass. There are certainties. And so Paul is saying, I'm straining to see it. I'm so excited because I know for certain that God will be glorified. Christ will be honored in my body. I don't hope, like cross my fingers, I wish, but instead... I believe, because God has promised it, that Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by my life or by my death. It is that certainty that the Holy Spirit will provide everything He needs, that the prayers of the saints will come to pass, and no matter what destination God has in mind for Him, it will be to God's glory, and God will be honored. Paul is at such a place in life where he is so certain about his salvation, he doesn't worry about anything else. I can live, I can die, it's all good. 
I know that this body will glorify and honor my Christ Jesus. And so we see that, that to be honored is to be of, of good reputation amongst all. In other words, Paul is saying, when people look at my life, they look at what I have done with this flesh and what has been done to it, they will hold Jesus in high esteem. They will say, that guy, he was something, but that Jesus he served, something even more. And he says, it's in my body. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what happens to and what we do with our bodies matters. The things done to us in, in persecution, the things done to us in, in oppression, the things we choose to do out of desire or pleasure, they all matter. Our body matters. In fact, in, in another book to the church in Corinth, Paul wrote this. He said, for you were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. What you choose to do with your flesh matters and we can be confident that God will be glorified when we walk in faithfulness to him and according to the provision of his spirit but we also can know that we can bring shame to God if we choose to do the wrong things with our body now what's right and what's wrong what's so cool is that God has given us very clear standards in his word there are so few gray areas when it comes to what to do with our body except for the ones that we imagine the ones that we make up for ourselves. We like to find loopholes. That was one of the things as a youth pastor, I knew every time I made a new rule, there would be at least five loopholes discovered by the end of that youth meeting. And, well, what about? Well, what about? Well, what about? And I have to keep making new rules. And we're all like that. We don't mature out of that. We still fall prey to that. And, and the, the truth is, though, is that God's word is so black and white. We can glorify God with our body when we walk in faithfulness, or we can shame the name of Christ. We can make him of ill repute or lessened by what we do with our bodies. And we can see it, it happens all the time. Someone who is exalted because of his position or her title, who chooses to shame Christ with their body by what they do, alcohol or, or uh, adultery or, or other things, and we see all the unsafe people in the world point their finger at that person and they say, see, I knew that Jesus wasn't real. We too can do the same thing. So Paul says, I believe, I know it will be true that I will be faithful according to your prayers and the provision of the Spirit. And Jesus will be highly honored in my body. And then he goes on to say this in verse 21. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, this has been the verse we focused on. This is the, the title of our series. This is actually going to be the, the reference point for the rest of this letter. Because what Paul is going to begin to do from this point forward is to give us details about what it means if we live Christ. He's going to begin to lay out what it looks like to live 
Christ. And this isn't the only time he's said something like this. In Galatians 2.20, Paul writes this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul was so consumed with Jesus that when he looked in the mirror, when he looked at what his defining things in life were, it always came down to just Jesus. He says this in Colossians 3, for you, in talking to the Colossian church and all of us, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, Paul is saying to to the, the church in Colossae, he's saying to them, you're dead. The only reason you're alive is because of Jesus. You live because of Christ within you and you within Christ. This is the only thing that gives us purpose and meaning. And so when he says it to the Philippian church, he is saying it with such a perspective that he could die at any moment. He's already been imprisoned for five years. He's been under chains with Roman guards for the last three He's been supported by the generous gifts of others who were able to send money to him to pay for his apartment, to pay for his food, because those things were not provided by the Roman government. And so he has come to this place in life where he is so certain about his salvation, so certain about his Jesus, that for him, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Every day that I have is about Jesus And when these days are over, it's all about Jesus. Because I'm going to gain everything he's promised me. Now, in the Greek, it literally is to live Christ and to die gain. There's no is in there. The translations put the is, to live is Christ, to die is gain, to help us understand what Paul is saying, but I actually think it kind of robs a little bit of the meaning. Because Paul isn't saying to live is for Christ. He isn't saying to live is, is about Christ. He is saying to live Christ. That's it. That's all there is. To live Christ. To die, gain. To die is even better. It is eternity. It is hope. Now, it's interesting. There was a, a, a saying. Tazane Christos. That's the bottom one. Those of you who know your Greek, you knew that, right? Um, I don't know my Greek very well, which is why I had to pause and think about it again. Um, languages have never been my strong thing. It was actually a saying in Paul's day, though, amongst the people. To live is good. Or life is good. The bottom one, Tazane Christos. Well, he changes the saying, Tazane Christos. To live is Christ. It's not about living the good life, it's about living the Christ life. To live Christ. Paul wants us to come to a point, he wants the Philippian church to understand that. Our hope, the the confidence to live 
It doesn't come from memorizing. It doesn't come from attending. It doesn't come from good jobs or great marriages or decent kids. It doesn't come from, from all the things that our culture says should be the center of our life. But to really be alive, to really live, is simply Christ. Now, here is kind of what I imagine many of us do on any given day. Anybody, you've ever, you know, had your phone out and you're on one of those little menus and you click it and it opens up and you've got to scroll forever? Like, you know, I don't, why do you, I'm, I'm on a U.S. website and you want to know what country I'm in and United States is always at the bottom you know, and it just ah, makes life so difficult to, to scroll through there and pick the right one. And I think in my mind when I made this slide, I had this picture of a lot of us pulling out our phone or pulling out an app and trying to determine what we're going to focus on any given moment of the day. And we just kind of scroll back and forth through the menu. And Christ is clearly on the list, but he's not even necessarily for many of us the most important. That we scroll around, we, we're, we're rolling through the menu and we're thinking about success, we're thinking about work, that today to live is school, to live for a pastor who is mistaken in his focus or a pastor's family, to live is church, to live marriage, to live is, is having good kids. Any, anybody ever heard that from somebody's mouth? My kids are my life. Ooh. Wow. You're setting yourself up for some disappointment. I, I mean, I'm just flat out, I've disappointed my parents lots, plenty of times. But the same is true in any of these things. My, my job is my life. My marriage is my life. Food is life. <laughs> it is, but, you know, shouldn't be spiritually. You, you, you see where we're, we're kind of trying to get with this? Because I think that any given day, a lot of us, we, we scroll through here and we pick the one thing we think we're living in the moment. And what happens is instead of our life being properly focused like the Apostle Paul, our life is scattered. We struggle to remain Pure. We struggle to avoid sin and temptation because our focus is constantly shifting. Our focus is constantly moving back and forth between these things because we think we need to divide our life properly. Anybody ever heard the, that, that thing? You know, you, you got you to keep balance. You got to keep your life balanced. And I think we try and do that. I think we, we, we scroll back and forth and, and we find ourselves unconfident and we find ourselves struggling with sin. And we find ourselves wondering, what's this life all about? Because I thought it was about success, or I, I thought it was about video games. I thought that I could, I could make my life about something and it would be meaningful and it would be rich. Or I thought I could scroll back and forth and, and focus any given day. Bless you, there's so many sneezes. It's just blessings to everyone. Oh, never mind. Um, I could get myself in trouble. I think, though, that we, we, we live, we live so many things. We live so many disparate, disjointed, disagreeing lives. 
and then we wonder why we're not like Paul. I want to be confident. Soren Kierkegaard, whose name is fun to say, I mean, really, Soren Kierkegaard. Um, he's foreign. Uh, he's old. Actually, he's dead now. I mean, he's alive forevermore because he was a Christian. But he is, anyway. <coughs> Excuse me. If you're familiar with existentialism, Soren Kierkegaard is considered the father of existentialism. Now, he was on the fringe of Christianity, by all means, if, if you're like, you know, into splitting hairs like that. But he said this, and I think it's a good thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. And this is what Paul is communicating to the Philippian church about his own life. And I think it's, it's the heart of what he wants to communicate to us about our lives, too. To be able to be pure, to be able to be confident, to be able to walk without those nagging doubts and fears and distractions is to move from a place where we are constantly focused and willing on so many things and instead come to the place where, like the Apostle Paul, to live Christ. To live Christ. Now, that doesn't mean you've got to go to a monastery or a convent. It doesn't mean that you have to lock yourself in the closet and be on your knees until they're bloody and pray without ceasing in some sort of formulaic way. But what it means is that Christ should be so central to every component of your existence that you cannot separate him from any moment of who you are. That you are in such a place in relationship with him that he is mixed into everything. So that when something tastes good, it's not my compliments to the chef, it's, oh, Jesus, this is good. When the sun rises, it's thank you, Jesus. When the car starts, it's thank you, Jesus. When you come up to a challenging choice, should I raise my middle finger to that person who cut me off or not? It is not, oops, I did it, sorry, Jesus, but he's right there in the midst of the choice. Because you understand that to live is Christ. You're not going to lash out at the boss. You're not going to lash out at the co-worker. Because to live, Christ. That, that you understand that he is at home with you. That there's not a time when he is not watching TV alongside you. Listening to how you speak to your family. To live, Christ. He is so mixed into every moment of your life that there is never a way for you to say, this is my Jesus living life and this is my life. These are the moments when I live like him. These are the moments when I do what I want because it has so become one in your life to live Christ. And what's amazing, as I can tell you, that as we live Christ, the things that we were scrolling back and forth to and focusing on and dividing our attention on, those things begin to function properly when we live Christ. 
Those things begin to fall into place. When Jesus is at the center of every discussion and choice in your life, then work begins to result in things that glorify God and grow you in Christ-likeness. School begins to become a place of glory to God and honoring Christ in your flesh. Your marriage becomes a thing that honors God instead of misrepresents the relationship of Christ in the church. Your kids will still be themselves, but your life is built on Christ, and so their shortcomings do not mean you are less than. It just means that they're human. <laughs> to live Christ, brothers and sisters. Christ. Now Paul says he's able to do this. He's able to live like this because of this truth. Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I, I get this, this, this choice. I get this, this place in life. I can live for Jesus or I can die and it's all good. See, those are the two, two things that can happen in my life and both of them are awesome. I live Christ or I die and enter eternity. Yes. Would you like door A or door B, and the jackpot is behind both of them. I'm torn. Some of your translations might say pressed. It's actually what it is in the Greek, but the translators of the Christian Standard Bible chose torn because that's an idiom that speaks to us a little more clearly. He says, I am torn or pressed between the two. I long to depart and when he uses that word long there, it is not just like, oh, it would sure be nice to be in, in eternity with God now. That word, it actually carries with it the idea of, of a lusting for. Like, I am so ready. I, I, I just, oh, I'm aching. I'm, yeah, I need it, I need it, I need it. I long to depart the word depart is a picture of embarking on a journey across the ocean. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. This should be encouraging. Even when we die, it only gets better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Now, we're going to see that this idea of choosing what is best for others is going to carry on throughout this book of Philippians. And then he says this, Since I am persuaded of this, <laughs> I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Paul wanted to choose what was best for the Philippian church so that they could grow up in Christ Jesus and have more opportunities to worship him. Paul wasn't like, I hope I get out of prison because that would be nice. Then I can do what I want. I can finally finish up my bucket list. He wasn't, send me to heaven. Then I don't have to mess with you people anymore. Instead, he acknowledged, I'm torn to live Christ, to die, gain 
But as I sit here and I write this letter to you, I recognize it would be to your benefit if I continue to live and I get to come visit you so that you can grow as Christians and so that Jesus can be glorified. And so Paul's focus was not himself, but other believers. Like I said, we're going to see this. This is actually the beginning of this next section of to live for Christ. And that is, in order to live for Christ, we must live lives of self-sacrifice. So today, as we close, a couple of quick questions. I want to ask you, what are you relying upon for confidence in your life? What are you resting on? What are you hoping in? If it's in politics, <laughs> dummy, <clears throat> if it's in politics, if it's in a good job, if it's in a, a perfect relationship or a, a hopefulness about something or anything other than Jesus, what are you relying upon? You're, you're missing out. The, the things we can rely upon, according to Paul, the prayers of the saints and the provision of the Spirit. And that's where our confidence comes from. Second question, what are you living? I didn't ask, what are you living for? I didn't ask, what's your goals? What are you living? To live Christ. Or are you somewhere else? To live mortgage. To live success. To live social advancement. To live lunch. Or to live Christ. What are you living? And then finally, on a, on a regular basis, what are you rejoicing and boasting in? interesting is we see Paul over and over again every time he has the opportunity he's telling somebody about his Jesus why? because he's overwhelmed with joy and he knows that's what's important to boast in what are you rejoicing and boasting in? <laughs> my parents did Amway and that, that's the whole joke right? Um, no Amway can be okay but my parents did Amway and they were told, everybody you meet, you need to tell them about Amway. And you know what my parents did? Everybody they met, they told them about Amway. But you know what my parents didn't do? Tell anybody about Jesus. Me too. I'm the same way. I struggle. I'll tell them about the good things in my life and the things that I like, but I'll forget to boast in my Jesus. And Paul says our boasting should be in Christ. That everything should lead us to that point. So... What are we relying on? Hopefully you're at a point in your Christian life where you can <coughs> excuse me, understand the significance of coming to the place of relying upon the prayers of the saints and the provision of the Spirit. Open yourself up. Come to a small group. Spend a little bit of extra time before or after service. Get to know somebody and share with them where you're at in life. I'm frustrated. I'm overjoyed. I feel like I'm in prison or I'm free as a bird. Second, to live Christ. That's it. Every moment of your life, as a Christian, to live Christ. 
to live. Christ. And then begin to practice boasting in your Jesus a little bit more. Even if it just means God's blessed us with a great day, hadn't he? And that's it. Even if it means something as simple as praying over your meal at work before you start horking it down and setting the stage for boasting in your Jesus. This one verse can be life-changing if you begin to apply it. And Paul is going to give us even more detail as this book unfolds about how living is Christ and dying is gain and what that living is Christ should look like. If you were a young person taking notes today, you should have gotten the answer to the fill in the blanks already to be able to turn in, but to live Christ and to die, gain. Critical for us to understand. Next Sunday, Kids Church, and, and uh, that starts at 1045. All you kids will be down in Kids Church getting to have a rocking good time, and that's where you will get your prizes for your sermon notes for the month of October, as well as a drawing for gift cards for some of the coolest restaurants that $10 can afford. That's right. For everybody else this week, to live Christ, to die gain. How might that affect how you choose to live this week? Would you pray with me as the worship team comes up to close us out? Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit, you inspired the Apostle Paul to put pen to paper and to write this letter to the Philippian church. We thank you that in it there is so much rich doctrine. But more than that, thank you for the example of Paul and his encouragement to the church. We pray that we would be able to trust in the right things, to focus in the right ways, to focus on you, Lord Jesus. I pray that more of us would come to the place where to live Christ and to walk in confidence knowing that to die gain. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Convict our hearts for that one step, that one change that you would like us to make as we grow in discipleship this week. And we commit it to you and we long to grow. In the name of our Savior Jesus, we pray. Amen.